Hello and welcome to A Game of Two Halves, our brand new show with me, Ellis. And me, Ollie Hayes. So today we're going to talk about all things football and we're going to start with Everton, our teams. So Ollie, how was that result on Saturday? I mean, it was just the epitome of what Lampard's brought to the to the club. Um, I was so happy after the, after the game because Lampard, you can clearly see what his project is and what he's trying to do. Um, and especially the second goal, if you look at Lampard's philosophy and how he likes to play out from the back and and bring sort of fast-flowing football from back to front, that was sort of the biggest example I've ever seen of Everton playing from the back. And we, we looked good. We looked really good. And it, it was a really good afternoon. It was great. We looked solid at the back as well, I think. like Obviously, it brought me back to the Martinez days when we used to play similar football. But I just had a bit more trust in that back four this time because we were playing it out from the back. But I feel like Pickford trusts Cody and Tarkovsky. And obviously, the whole defence seems solid now. And like that just makes you feel more comfortable when they are passing it around the back. Yeah, 100%. And you can only see us going from strength to strength. That result for me was... Um sort of just the epitome of, of what we're looking to go forward with. It's, Absolutely, yeah. The squad looks good. We, we improved over the summer and, and we genuinely do look like a much better team than we did 12 months ago. And I don't feel like we get the credit for it either, which I don't mind too much because I'd rather us silently creep up on everybody. Yeah, true. But players like Alex Awobi coming, yeah, <laughs> coming yeah, to yeah. the fore and honestly, the transformation we've seen from that man is just something else. Yeah, it's it? unreal. And, and it's all credit to him because you saw what he was like when he uh, when he first came into Everton. He, he really struggled to find form, and he he, he looked a little bit lost. He, he was he was really a, a sort of squad player, and he, we were left sort of with that hole where we'd spent thirty five million pounds on a player, and we didn't really know what we'd got out of him. But now we're really reaping the rewards of, of what we're seeing, and and he, he feels like he's undroppable now. He's got to the point where. Alex Iwobi is now undroppable oh, from completely. Everton Football Club. When you look at his assists, he's got five assists this season. Kevin De Bruyne has got nine. Yeah. He's the only player that has more assists than yeah, Alex it's Iwobi. It's so good to see. And like Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming back as well, he offered us that different outlet, didn't he? You know, having that size up there, the pace and the power we saw from his goal. He worked hard as well. He won that ball back, picked it up. Mark Gare, he got flawed, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Just having a big striker up there just gives you another option, doesn't it? Yeah, and obviously we were so deprived of having that striker up there last season, obviously with, with Rondon playing up there. We, we obviously had to play Richarlison as a striker. Um, we genuinely do look like a side that needs that big man up top. We need that focal point. And what better man to have than Dominic Calvert-Lewin up there? He's, he's the best at his trade when he's um, on full fitness and he's on form but it's what we've seen over the last year or two is can we rely on him and I think hopefully he's turned a corner now in terms of injuries and he's he's got that goal which will sort of he'll use it as a springboard rather than go into the team next week and get injured again so hopefully yeah. we've got that big man back up top that focal point and that can only sort of that can only sort of bode well for the future for us because Definitely, yeah. because um Without a vocal point up front, we we look lost. Like we look like we're trying to play someone. We're trying to put square pegs in round holes. We we can't actually play our game without this big focal point up front. We've had Mope over the last few weeks, and he's been he's been decent. He's been a good stopgap, and I have actually really rated what Neil Mope's done. Definitely, I agree. Actually, but um, Calvert Lewin just offers you a different edge, and if he can stay fit, I I don't see any reason why he can't 
at least bag 10 goals, 15 goals. And it's that'd that, be that's, huge for us, wouldn't it? That'd be huge for us, but it'd be also huge for himself because he had that really good season under Carlo Ancelotti where he was banging them every. It, it, would, be, it would be a shock that he didn't score. Mm-hmm. That, that first eight, nine games of the season, he scored in every single one, I think, or, or next to next to every single one. Ancelotti seemed to turn him into an instinctive striker, which yeah. is the thing that I've always criticised him for, really, because he seems like he's got all the physical attributes, everything you need to be a good striker, but he doesn't seem to have that natural ability to finish chances. Yeah. But I think having him back is going to be huge. And Mope as well, yeah, I wouldn't completely push him out of the pitch now because he works so hard. Like He's useful for the press, but obviously... It was clear as day that he was going to struggle up there on his own. Yeah, 100%. But for Lampard now, like I'm so pleased for him because last season I really respected what he did because when he came in and we got beat to Spurs, I felt as if that was the point where he realised that he'd done it wrong. He really had just like misunderstood what our team yeah. had. And so he tried his style, didn't he, against Spurs and we got absolutely like battered 4-0, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. After that, I think he compromised on his style for the good of the team. We oh, were yeah. hard-working, direct, and he kept in the Premier League with that. He also galvanised the fan base. And now I'm just so happy for him this season that he's had the pre-season and he's had the time to coach it into the players and really show what he's about as a manager, you know? Yeah, and, and even last season we did sort of think if we stay up, Lampard will be the man to take us forward because you could see a philosophy there. There was a, there was a clear plan if we stayed up of the the type of name he would bring into the squad, uh, the type of name he would bring um, across like the backroom staff. So it did look like there was a clear plan going forward from um, obviously when he was appointed in January to where we are now, sitting twelfth in the league. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm very happy with where we're sitting in the league oh definitely well we we'd have took that wouldn't we at the end of the season this season and i feel like we've got more hope now than we thought we had at the start and like we all back lampard all the way don't we like all this nonsense about him being first to be sacked like i feel like the general media really didn't know what was going on inside everton because he really did something didn't he not just in a football sense in a cultural sense he just he rid everton of all that toxic feeling from Rafa Benitez's reign. I don't think I've ever felt as connected to a manager as I have Frank Lampard since maybe Martin and even Martin under the Martinez era we, we weren't that connected to the manager like there was the there was a good feeling around the club because the, the team were doing well but last season there was a good feeling around the club because we felt connected to the manager and his backroom staff not because the players were doing well and yeah, I think definitely. that's that's the biggest sort of culture change that we've seen that I think I've ever seen as an Everton fan well, I've th- never been as connected to a manager I don't think even our best season ever under Martinez like obviously he was a nice guy and the fans got on with him but Lampard's really just built some sort of connection that with the players and the fans and that like trilogy yeah just it's just a perfect match isn't i mean it? obviously me and you know best like we've seen it we've experienced it firsthand going home and away definitely it, you can feel something different obviously i did the i did the first half of last season home and away obviously under rafa yeah the the comparison that you feel is just a stark difference it's mental how much and you feel it as well at home at goodison everyone feels it like Go in the match, you feel excited to go to the match, whereas last season it felt like a chore and we're like, Oh, we've got to do this again, like let's just hope we get a result, let's 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 hope we pick up a point. Yeah, now you go definitely. you go to Goodison now and you, you really feel connected to the club. The people who sit round you are all in a good mood. It's We live Everton as well. Yeah. Everton fans really do just live 
for football. And obviously last season, shout out to you going to 39 out of... 39 out of 44. 44 games last season. We're both season ticket holders. I've been for 14 years. What about you? I think I'm my 12th year now. Um... I think it's 12 years, yeah. So it's just embedded in our life at this point. It's almost like a religion. It is it? a religion. It's, it's, it is your life. Everton is your life. You, you speak about it every morning. You speak about it at the night. You speak it think with about your family, it well. friends. Think about it. Your life centres around it. And Obviously, as a uni student, it's not, it's not the easiest thing to centre it around. But listen, wouldn't change make, it for the world. You wouldn't change it. You wouldn't change it. But yeah, we, we look a lot more comfortable and sort of... It only bodes well for the future. Yeah, we've got a couple of games coming up now before the World Cup. We've got Fulham away, Leicester at home and Bournemouth away twice in one week. Fantastic for the away fans. But yeah, so I think if we pick up a few points in them, go into the World Cup, smash it. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back to a game of two halves. Uh, moving on to our next topic. Obviously, we've, we've touched on Everton now. Um, in light of recent events of, of what's happened uh, over at Manchester United, uh, obviously we saw Cristiano Ronaldo walking off before the end of the game the other week. We um, did. I just want to sort of get your opinion on that. What do you think is the problem? Do you think the club are at fault for excluding him against the game for the game against Chelsea, or do you think that Cristiano Ronaldo is massively in the right? Do you think that Ronaldo? It's just showing his age and he can't keep up with the younger players and can't get into this team. And he's sort of just dragging his feet and throwing a tantrum. It's such an interesting one, isn't it? Because what a privilege it is to have a player like Cristiano Ronaldo in the Premier League. Let's, let's have it right. We would have we both would have Ronaldo at Everton. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those players who's just so good that you do feel like you have to afford for things that he does wrong sometimes just to keep him there. But my opinion is that he did disrespect Eric Ten Hag and as a manager to come in and have to deal with that problem, you've got a big decision to make because you can't lose respect off that the rest of that team. And I think what he did by not letting Ronaldo get in away with it and sorry, putting him on the bench was the best thing to do because as Eric Ten Hag, you come in and you need to command respect. Mm, and what yeah. he's done by doing that is commanded the respect and made sure that he doesn't seem weak. So he's made that decision. The, one of the best players in football history and he's just done, made that decision. So I, I respect Harrison Hard for that and I completely agree with what he's done. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm of the same opinion, to be honest. I, I feel like Manchester United have been such a pushover in the last few years. You look at managers like Louis van Gaal. Okay, there was a little bit of a, a, a book in the trend under Jose Mourinho. They won a trophy, they won the Europa League. Um, they looked a lot more solid. Then you have managers like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who, let's have it right, doesn't didn't have the backbone to be Manchester United manager. He definitely didn't, know. I mean, if you look at his CV, they had, he was at Cardiff, he was at Mulder in Norway. He was not a fantastically well-backed manager. I think Manchester United just put him in there for the ease of access. And yeah. he did. He had a good tenure as a he did well, caret didn't he, for caretaker a manager. But for me, Ronaldo is in the wrong because, as you said, Ten Hag is coming to a completely new league. He's, he's done it in Holland, He's done it in the Eredivisie with Ajax and he, he's looked good for it. Obviously, they had a good Champions League run. They look solid in the Eredivisie, pretty much win it every year. Their only real challenge was PSV Eindhoven. Uh, they had a great setup there, didn't they, yeah. as well, with the youth coming through and that. It was almost the perfect footballing 
like breeding ground yeah, almost, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you look at look at Marcel Brands. He was always when he was at Everton, he was always trying to tap into the the Dutch league to get youth talent. That's the way that he does it. Yeah. He, you know? So for me, um, Eric Ten Hag had to sort of stamp his authority and yeah, make it be known that no one has a guaranteed place in that seat in that team, including Cristiano Ronaldo. As good as he is, he made it known that you have to work for this place and you have to work. To, for the badge and and make sure that you're number one on the team sheet because you've put hard work in training, not because you've scored X amount of Champions League goals in the past. And I think that's what Ronaldo doesn't like. I think he's probably struggling to come to terms in his own head that he's he's not at the top of his game anymore, so he won't be the first name on the team sheet. And and it's difficult because it's you run a very like fine line of you are disrespecting one of the the best players of all time and he, he has been so good for so long but it's these players all have to retire and how would the rest of the squad think like if you're Anthony Martial or whatever and he's throwing a strop because he's on the bench it's like you're disrespecting those players on the pitch by basically saying I'd be do a better than job these, yeah, yeah, yeah he's that's really poor from him and I thought that as the model professional that Cristiano Ronaldo is I would have expected better than him for him but the thing is no football player is bigger than the club doesn't matter where you are Obviously, at Manchester United as well, no player is bigger than that club and he can't come in and decide what he wants to do. So if he does want to play every game, I will be looking at getting rid of him in January for the best for him and for the best for Man United. I think they do just need a clean break, don't they? To be honest, I'd love to see what their... um what their stats are without Ronaldo. I just, I just... Well, funny you say that, actually, because I found a little stat this morning. According to Opta, Manchester United average more team distance per game and have a greater points per game total this season without Ronaldo. Wow. Well, that's, that's telling as it is, to be honest. You don't really, really realise until you, you delve into the statistics and, and look at how bad, actually, Man United are with Ronaldo. It's almost like they're carrying a an 11th man but they are because he doesn't press and if you've got a system that Eric Ten Hag is really trying to implement a system isn't he if you've got a player who doesn't do his job if you want a system to work you've got to have 11 men all on the same page and when he's there obviously he doesn't do his job he scores the goals which that's the reason what keeps him in the team because he gets you the goals but if you're not there working as part of the system why should you be in that team yeah and as well going a little bit off topic you you have to sort of draw comparisons to what the dilemmas Klopp's having at Liverpool with obviously trying to shoehorn all these strikers in with yeah. Firmino, Diaz. They're two completely different strikers. It almost like you have to adapt your system just just for these two different strikers. And I think that's the dilemma Ten Hag's having because if he was to put Ronaldo in, it would completely change the complexion of his his press, his sort of build-up play. It stunts the growth for the team, I reckon, having him in because yeah. every game that that team plays together in that system, they're improving. Like, what we're seeing with us at the minute, we're playing that system, we're getting better at it each week. If you have Ronaldo in, suddenly they're playing a different way and, like, there's no consistency then, is there? And I think yeah. it just shows the, the impact of player power now. Like, you think 20 years ago, would the, this have even been a conversation? The manager is the boss and that's it. Like, how on earth does Ronaldo think that he has a right to overrule Eric Ten Hag. Yeah. It's almost a shame as well, really, just to see his, his demise. Yeah. Because growing up, there was there's two main characters in football. It's Messi and Ronaldo. 100%. And, and it's almost like Messi sort of winning that longevity debate now because you saw what he did for PSG last night, whereas Ronaldo's throwing straps on, on the bench for Manchester United. It, 
it's almost a, a sad ending to a, a long story which we've had obviously all through our childhood growing up and it's like we don't hate him do we it's not like we're coming out with this argument because we don't like Cristiano Ronaldo he's a player that I've always admired and always gone wow you know his physical condition for yeah. his age is astounding his football inability he's almost like a robot his goal scoring record but it's just sad to see him disrespect the fan base that brought him to like the centre stage yeah. didn't it when he was at Man United and he was that like skinny winger just doing tricks and all that how he's evolved as a player and the United fans got behind him then and they get behind him now and it's almost like a middle finger to the Man United fans when yeah. he just walks out the ground yeah it's it's just I mean I, I know a few Manchester United fans and I know they're not happy about the situation and you look at sort of Manchester United fan channels as well on, on YouTube and Instagram they're they're completely back in Ten Hag, which is really strange because it's not strange, but it's it's really like Surprising. yeah, it's it's like they've had a change of mentality and the culture's changed all around the club to the point where United fans are willing to buy into this Ten Hag legacy Definitely. over one of their brightest young sparks that they had coming through the academy yeah. when they signed him from Sporting when he was eighteen, and then last season one of their top goal scorers and the men, one of the men that they wouldn't have been able to do without last season. So it, it's almost like United fans have had a switching mentality and they're like, no, we, we do like Ten Hag. They've come we, down we have a level, haven't they? I think they've come down a level because they had to, because they're no longer the title-winning team that should be competing every single year. And to get back to that, they have to kind of have a bit of humble pie and like follow a project for a bit and yeah. give this man time. Like He's clearly showing that he can deal with the media because... Like, that was one of my questions about him when he first joined. Has he got the charisma to be a Man United manager? But I think his kind of, the Dutch style of being quite reserved has helped him in this Ronaldo situation. Because yeah, he's not come out flying with like wild comments like you might have got from an Antonio Conte or a Jurgen Klopp. He's been calm about it. He's not drawn a load of attention onto it, which is helping him and the team. Because they need to just focus on Man United, don't they? I like the word you use project there as well, because Manchester United now is a project. There's no denying that. Yeah. They, they have fallen so far from what they were in like the Sir Alex Ferguson days that they now have to have a huge rebuild job. And, and that's the sad reality. Not the sad reality, because I, I, listen. We're not too bad. Listen, we're not too bothered <laughs> about Manchester United doing badly because it, obviously we're Everton fans. But um, you look at Manchester United's demise and it's got to a point where they can't just go straight back to winning titles, no. even, even if they got a top manager like Antonio Conte. They can't just do that. They can plough all the money in in the world, like at times they have. Yeah. But then that's not going to work, is it? You've got to give someone time. To... I mean, even this season as well, you look at the, the project I was talking about and you were talking about, they lost 4 to Brentford. Mm -hmm. They've lost 2-1 to Brighton. And that's that's this season. That feels like a world apart, doesn't it? Even yeah, it does. Even to what it was at the start of the season, to what it is now, it's, it's levels apart. So I do have to admire what Ten Hag is doing at Man United. And sort of drawing back to the Cristiano Ronaldo thing, it's in the best interest for the club to get rid of him now. Just clean yeah. break, clean slate, and use any money that you make from him just to, to invest reinvest in it in the squad and, and bring youth in, which Manchester United fans are already sort of thinking ahead for the future because they've brought in Malassia, Anthony, players like that who really good players from the Dutch league. Now Manchester United fans, the culture which has switched in, in their minds, United want better things going forward. Yeah. And the best thing for that to happen is Ronaldo to leave. 
yeah, it should be interesting because he is back in training now and there's three games to the World Cup, isn't there, I think. And then he's got the World Cup and then we'll see what happens after that, won't we? He, he could have played his last Manchester United game already. You, you never know. It's, he it, could have scored his last Manchester United goal against who, Ollie? Us. Not, like normal. <laughs> Us, yeah. Welcome back to a Game of Two Halves podcast and we are now in the second half, aren't we? Yes, we are. We are. So, All-time break done. Yep, I hope you've all had your uh, pints and your pies. <laughs> but we're back and we're going to talk about Aston Villa because they are quite the thing to talk about at the minute because Steven Gerrard has been sacked as manager of Aston Villa and within a week, I think, Unai Emery has been appointed. So I think we're going to start with the new man. So Unai Emery, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think it's a good appointment for Villa. I, I think that was the appointment Newcastle should have made when they got all their money in January. Uh, he's a good manager, good Premier League pedigree. He obviously had his time at Arsenal, doesn't always work out. Um, great European manager, really strong in Europe. Four Europa League wins, three with Sevilla, one with Villarreal. He's a good manager. He's good tactically. I, I think a lot of fans are not going to take Villa seriously. Yeah, about this appointment because they think he's just a, a meme, meme manager. Just because of is just he come into the Premier League with a bit of a language barrier, and that's kind of stuck with him, hasn't it? The and, whole and good evening greet, and likes greeting people in the evenings. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play to him; he's polite every time he comes on to an interview. He's a nice guy, but I think I think he was probably a bit unlucky at Arsenal just because of the circumstances. Because he came in after Arsene Wenger, twenty six years at the helm, he comes in, and to be fair to him. Although did it, all right. it didn't seem happy at all times, did it? Because of the issues with Meza Ozil, the issues with Granite Xhaka and the captaincy. But the thing is, they were going for top four and they were in a Europa League final. And in three three games in one week went wrong for Arsenal there. And then they lost the Europa League final to Chelsea. Yeah. But they So you think they could have got top four and the Europa League? Obviously, shoulda, woulda, coulda and all that. Yeah, yeah. But I think he was a bit unlucky there. Obviously, it was the right time to sack him in the end, but I think he's gone over back to Villarreal. Well, not back, but he's gone to Villarreal, yeah. done a fantastic job. Champions League last year. Yeah. But who did he beat last year? Juventus, Bayern Bar- Munich. Uh, no, I was about to say Barcelona. That was Eintracht Frankfurt. Sorry. <laughs> Bayern Munich and Juventus, he's knocked them out with Villarreal. And I think he'd come back to the Premier League with a lot more respect. I think the fans will respect him and give him time. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I find it interesting that you... Uh, obviously, we do this straight after the Ten Hag and Ronaldo section. That is a project, and and Arsenal was not a project back then because they just needed a quick fix of a manager that had won trophies just to keep up with Arsene Wenger, and that's what they Hard needed. Hard act to follow, wasn't it? It was, and it's similar to Sir Alex Ferguson with David yeah. Moyes, and these type of jobs are so difficult for managers from abroad to come into because. There's such pressure. If there's a manager that's been there for 20 years, it's so difficult it for is, managers to, a whole to try culture and... in yeah, that club it's... there, isn't there? And then... But Aston Villa, I think, he's got a chance now to really prove himself, hasn't he? Because he's coming to a team who are so ambitious. Like, their owners are planning stadium redevelopment. They're planning on pumping money and trying yeah, to go yeah. for a European push. Like, he's going into an ambitious club, isn't he? Yeah, I just don't know if it will be as instantaneous as Villa fans are hoping because of the problems that were, like the mistakes that were made over the summer. Yeah. Signings like Diego Carlos. I've made this point in a podcast over the summer that Diego Carlos was not a good signing for Villa because he's. Proved not to be, hasn't he? No, well, I mean, yeah. I said that he was 
obviously 30 years old when he's coming in. It's a big money transfer. Huge money, 40 million, was it? Near to 40 million, yeah. And he gets injured in the second game of the season. And as Everton fans, we've seen it so often, haven't we? We are. With, with big John money signings. John Philippe Gabamin, I was just about to bring him up. With so many big signings coming in and just getting injured straight away or being plagued with injury throughout the whole time at the club. It feels to me that Villa are making the mistakes that we made all those years ago when we first got fired Mashiri and had Sigurdsson come in, Delph, Tosin, Balassi, Klassen. Awobi. Proved Awobi right. has proved to be the one that is all right. But these mistakes, I, I feel it, they're not being pulled up by the media just yet, but I do think that Aston Villa's recruitment process, the way they've been signing players, it just doesn't sit right with me. You know, you have Philippe Coutinho's, it screams the kind of signings we'd used to make. Yeah. And they're signing players who, 27, 28 maybe, won't have that much resale value. There's some exceptions with Kamara. Yeah, and yeah. Like Leon Bailey, I think, is a good player yeah. as well. But I think Aston Villa could be in danger if they gamble, which it seems like they're doing, spend a lot of money, gamble on getting into Europe in the next couple of years to get that revenue. If that doesn't happen like it did with us, then they could be in trouble with profit and sustainability. It, it does. It, it begs the question of, of what the, the face of Villa will be like in three or four years' time. And, and if their project doesn't go as well as they hope it does, where will they end up? And listen, I... There's, there's a bit of a rivalry between Everton and Villa. Not not local rivals, just sort of in the league. Yeah. There's always been a rivalry between Everton and Villa. Obviously, the two, one of the two oldest clubs in the Premier League today. It's it's the most played fixture in Premier League history. Yeah. We don't want to see them do well, but we can sort of take... We can empathise with yeah, them. Yeah, we can empathise. We they're can a big take empathy club, with them they? Because they are a big club. They're, they are quite similar to us in a sense that big stadium, big fan base, old club and want to be fighting for these European spots. Yeah. But they are, it does seem that they're making the same mistakes as we did three or four years ago. So it's it's interesting though, because it seems like they've done it in reverse in the managerial sense, as they brought in Steven Gerrard, who's our equivalent to Frank Lampard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they've brought in an experienced, reputable manager like Unai Emery. But I just wanted to know your thoughts on Steven Gerrard's ending there, because what on earth went wrong? Because it was so promising. He did so well at Rangers. Obviously, we're quite pleased at that. Sorry, yeah. Ben, if you're listening. <laughs> but yeah, what did you think of the uh, Gerard collapse? I mean, it was the it was the media nightmare, wasn't it? The media didn't want that to happen. They no. wanted it. They, they wanted the Lampard collapse. They didn't want the Gerard collapse. Of course they did. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans didn't want the Gerard collapse either because they were hoping that Gerard would be a good manager and walk straight into the job when Klopp leaves. He's the heir to Jurgen Klopp's throne, isn't he? Supposedly. Not anymore. <laughs> who's, who's the heir now? But but yeah, Gerard at Rangers, you can't compare him to Gerard at Villa because Rangers has obviously been in this, uh, the Scottish League. It's such a different league. There's, it's it's a two-horse race every year. It, it was a one-horse race for the years that Ranger went into, uh, Rangers went into administration. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to sort of compare that. His time at Rangers, he was very good. Obviously, had a few Europa League spells, got Rangers so far in the Europa League Stopped campaign. Stopped the 10 wins in a row, didn't yeah, he, he did. well, for Celtic? He got Rangers so far in the Europa League campaign, which obviously they went on to get to the final yeah. that year, well, obviously last year. Um, I just look at Villa, though, and just think, what was their identity under Gerrard? Like, you couldn't pinpoint like a philosophy there, a style of play, and there was no buy-in, it seemed. like No one seemed to really love Gerrard that much because the players clearly turned on him yeah as we saw last saturday yeah and the, fan, the fans as well the fans were very vocal in the away end saying we want gerard out we want gerard out and 
Stephen Gerrard get out of our club, it, it turned sour, much like it did under Silver, Marco Silva, Benitez, yeah, Allardyce. The list goes on, guys. We've we've been through it. <laughs> we've been as through ever. the trenches. <laughs> but yeah, it was that that game last Saturday. Just think, it was like the shackles had been let off the man. Yeah. Like obviously the new manager. Well, I say new manager, caretaker manager Aaron Danks came in. Within 15 minutes, they were three 0 up. Maybe Villa, that's that's what they just needed. Maybe this Gerard, I don't want to call it a regime because it's it's, it's just a <laughs> tenure of, of manager. It's not a regime, but this Gerard sort of administration, maybe it, it was just too much for them because Villa's a club that's it's run so well by people above that they sort of direct a manager. And I don't think Stephen Gerrard is a manager just to be a puppet. No, he, he would have been in there to employ his own philosophy, his own backroom staff, and maybe there was a different agreement there. Some players might have backed. The owners, some players might have backed the manager. That's where the issues are caused. Yeah, I think. definitely. I think he's the weird thing about him though is that he had so much promise and it just didn't. Yeah. I don't like. I, I'm interested to see where he goes next because he must be so furious at what he saw on Saturday. Because obviously, under Steven Gerrard this season, Villa scored seven goals in eleven Premier League games. Only once did they score more than one, and then four <laughs> 0 against Brentford. Who was the more and one against? More oh, one. <laughs> don't mention that. Of course, but, it was Everton. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can't believe what happened there, and I really don't know where he's going to go next. How do you pick yourself up from that? I think a championship job might have to be his next port of call because no one in the Premier League is going to really give him a chance. No. Um, I think he needs a team to build with bit like Steve Cooper at Forest. Steve Cooper and Forest were a match made in heaven because that's a clean slate there. Yeah. He, he has got a group of players which he can employ his own ideas on. That's what Gerard needs. Ger- he went into a club with Villa where they they have a lot of stubborn ideas, I think, as a squad. You have big characters like Taro, Mings, Ollie Watkins, John McGinn. Yeah. They're, th- they're three names alone that are enough to cause you problems in terms of having a right dynamic in a, in a dressing room. Yeah. What does Gerard need? A, a balanced squad that he can just walk into and go, right, this is the way we're going to play and players are going to play for him. He that's, needs to regain need. the the respect from the media, really, because I think at the minute people are looking at him and going, we couldn't even see you really trying to... Like, yeah. We couldn't see what he was trying to implement. It was it, Nothing happened, did it? I think it has left the media a little bit red-faced in terms of how they treated the Gerard Lampard situation over the summer. Yeah. And... It's almost left them looking a little bit silly after the the articles before Everton versus Villa in August. It's, yeah. It was ployed as Gerard versus Lampard, not Everton versus Villa, which I think annoyed a lot of fans in terms of this is the oldest fixture in the history of Premier League, and you're just pinning it on two managers two because you want clubs, yeah, like, enormous clubs. But yeah, Villa should be a really interesting one to look out for in the next coming weeks, yeah. and then obviously after the World Cup as well. Yeah, I think. The, the sacking of Gerard has come at the right time for Villa as a club because if they had waited until after the World Cup, certain managers might not be available, certain managers might be less inclined to go abroad or go to, into new jobs when they've got good projects going on for the rest of the season. So it, I think for, for Villa's safety in the Premier League and them kicking on, I think it was a good time for Gerard to go because... It wasn't going to work. You could a, a genius could take it. It doesn't take a genius to work out that it wasn't going to work six months down the line. So why stick with it? And, exactly. and it, it was it was good. It was sort of a, a nice natural ending to a, a a project which didn't work out. Yeah, exactly that.
Welcome back to a Game of Two Halves pod, um, radio show, not podcast actually. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to talk about referees now because they're always a controversial topic, aren't they? It's... We do love a good referee and decision at Everton, don't we? Oh, especially here, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the biggest thing at the minute, I'd say handballs. Yeah. What do you think of the handball rule? Do you know it? Do we know it? Does anyone know I it? I don't think anyone knows it. It's, it's, if you listen to Conor Cody on Talk Sport on, on Monday afternoon, it was... Not, no one knew what was going on. Even Conor Cody had, had different opinions to the pundits. So. And he plays, doesn't he? He's yeah. there. He has to deal with that rule. But it's it's so weird, isn't it? The whole unnatural position thing, like I saw with Matty Cash, the penalty that went against him the weekend, that was, that was so unlucky because that was a natural position and that was given as a penalty. Yeah. Whereas a couple of weeks before, in the Arsenal-Liverpool game, Gabriel's handball in an unnatural position wasn't given yeah. as a penalty. And, and you look at, even to decisions last season, the Rodri handball at Goodison, that was horrendous. Even though Liverpool fans like to make that known that it was that decision that lost in the league, even though we were quite <laughs> happy come the end of the season. Um, I think the standard of refereeing on the whole has got a lot worse over the years. It, it's got more horrendous as we've, as we've gone on. It has, yeah. It's One thing I would say about that, though, is I give them some credit where it's due because... At the start of this season, they said about wanting to let the game flow more. Yeah. And I quite like the added leniency in the Premier League now where they do let a few more fouls go and it lets the play run better. But then again, the consistency isn't there. So the leniency is there at times, but then the consistency is just all over the shop, isn't it? Like, Yeah. It's a difficult one because as an Everton fan, I can't get behind referees. We've had so many shocking decisions go against us over the years. So very I, true. I, I can't really give them any sympathy, to be honest. But... Um, I think they need to clarify the laws, you know, because that handball rule, obviously, yeah, if that's confusing, how do you, how do they apply that rule? There's too many grey areas, I think, is the problem. Oh, definitely. The rules, the rules state things that it's kind of just states the obvious. There's there's no sort of explicit argument to or for, and that's that's where the problems lie, because referees in their own mind, they're doubting themselves. Yeah. And I think that's where VAR creates a problem as well, because referees are making decisions knowing that they've got VAR to fall back on. So they either hesitate and don't make a decision and it causes issues based on that, or they make a decision, it cuts the play short and it turns out to be onside. Exactly. It's so weird, isn't it? And it's it's hard for them, but then they get things so badly wrong at times. Like what happened to clear and obvious in VAR? That doesn't seem to even be used anymore and that's literally in the written statement yeah. of VAR, isn't it? That's what they were meant to do. I mean, it's all the wording, isn't it, which is the problem. I think referees are now second-guessing themselves. We've, we've got VAR come in. You've got officials which aren't properly trained to be video assistant, assistant referees. It, it's, all, it's all a bit new to them and I think that's where the teething problems are being caused. Well, yeah, I agree. I think in the Liverpool-Man City game, I was really confused because I feel like another element of inconsistency with the Foden goal that got disallowed, obviously oh, yeah. I wanted that to stand, you wanted that to stand, but from a completely unbiased... <laughs> By our reaction, we, you can tell we wanted it to stand. <laughs> well, unbiased. I'm saying this is unbiased. I think personally that that goal... It shouldn't have been disallowed because you remember that Harlem foul in the middle? That's what they got disallowed yeah. for. And... Yeah, in olden days, in the past, even last season, that's a foul. But their new way of going about it is leniency, isn't it? That 
that wouldn't have been given as a foul in general play. But it seems now they go back to phases of play to try and scrutinise everything that happens and try and disallow goals. And I, I as well thought that the um, the Allison touch on the ball would have indicated a new phase of play, which would have rendered the Fabinho foul in inverted speech marks yeah um irrelevant because it's a new phase of play that that phase has ended there and has started with the Foden shot mm-hmm. so it's more gray areas which are being caused by by these wordings in in referee rule books which is probably causing the problems yeah it's a shame isn't it because VAR came in and you wanted that to improve things and obviously it helped us at the weekend because there's that scandalous offside decision in the Palace game where if you guys saw the the still, Anthony Gordon was very much onside and the linesman put his flag up, didn't he? And they ruined that celebration for us, didn't they? I mean, I still celebrated quite a lot. But, <laughs> but you doubted it. The minute you saw the flag, you were then right, can't quite celebrate as much now. Yeah. And then they give it and then you have a second celebration. <laughs> it almost it almost takes out the, the sort of that like, raw emotion that you have at a football game where you, you're celebrating, the goal goes in, you're so happy and then you see the flag go up. Mm-hmm. And then two minutes later, you get that, extra sort of happiness but it's just not the same as it's it's, it's no. not the same it's not it's not natural because i feel like the moment when you score a goal it's that instant elation isn't it it's not like waiting yeah. two minutes and don't get us wrong that var was good for us at the weekend because it helped spot that decision but a landsman should be spot a qualified landsman in the premier league should be spotting that anthony gordon was on side there that's he was the right side and he still didn't manage to spot it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what's yeah. next? We can cut to a little break. We've got a little um, constant uh, part of the show, which we'll bring up after a small break, uh, which is called Upset of the Week. Welcome back to A Game of Two Halves. Um, yeah, so I touched on it just before the break, uh, our new segment, which we will keep constant at the end of each show, uh, Upset of the Week. Uh, nice, if, you'd nice. like to, if you'd like to explain it a little bit more, what, what we're talking about. Okay, so... Obviously, we're on every two weeks, and leading up to the weekend of football, both of us have to choose an upset of the week that's going to happen. So something that's unlikely that is going to happen at the weekend that we're hopefully going to get proven right on in two weeks' time when we're (laughs) back on the next show. So, Ali, what is your first upset of the week of a game or two? Yeah, let's just just say it's completely blindness. Obviously, we've kept it secret from each other. We've told an independent adjudicator, Ben. Um, (laughs) And he's kept it secret from both of us. So we don't know which uh, upset we're talking about. But mine, uh, I have gone with uh, Brighton to win this weekend. Against? Well, I've gone with Manchester City to lose to Leicester. The half-12 kickoff on Saturday lethargic away team turning up to the king power against a rejuvenated Leicester I'm thinking there's a chance there Leicester have now back-to-back wins in a row against Leeds and then against Wolves so I'm thinking could this happen potentially with Haaland out as well that's that's a that's a big that's a big call that so you've gone with Brighton Brighton to beat Chelsea interesting in the Graham Potter derby wow what a game that's gonna be I think it'll just there'll be a, a bit of a bit about that game, obviously, because Graham Potter's going back, Cucurella's going back to to the Amex. Obviously, Brighton aren't the most scary fans in the world, but I, I do think there will be an added edge to that game where Brighton will nick something. I, I just feel it. I don't Should know what score. Maybe one nil, two one, but Brighton will nick something there. Trossard, 
to bag. Mm. In They're my a good team, aren't they? And I feel like Chelsea so far they've been unbeaten, which is good as well. So that shows that it's going to be a contest, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Deserve he's done all right, hasn't he, at Brighton? Obviously, it's a hard act to follow once yeah, again. Yeah, oh, 100%, yeah. Like, it, obviously, Graham Potter wasn't at Brighton for as long as your Arsene Wenger's, and he didn't have the same legacy as them. I don't yeah. want to compare them to that. But when you've got a manager who was a pretty much bigger than the club at that point, like, as in he was too good yeah, for Brighton at that point. He was building with Brighton, and I think he outgrew Brighton to a point where he deserved a better job than, than what he was in. Um, but City, City to, to get beat. Yeah, I don't don't give Liverpool fans hope. Don't well, do it. <laughs> they did it, didn't they, a couple of weeks ago? And then, I don't know, something seems to have changed at Leicester, and I don't know what it is because Brendan Rodgers was halfway out the door, wasn't he, a couple oh, of weeks ago? He was gone, yeah. He was, he was gone. Like, you had people putting... Brendan Rodgers out in all sorts of different birthday celebrations on <laughs> Brendan Alton and <laughs> <laughs> all sorts like of crazy stuff. Leicester fans clearly weren't happy. That's one thing for sure. But yeah, something seems to have happened there. I don't know if it was Wolves were so bad the other night or if Leicester just seemed to have clicked again. I really don't know what's happened. If you had to pick a scoreline, I've said two one or one nil. I think it could only be one nil with the Leicester Man City game. But then again, I think previous clashes has been goals but then I feel like if you keep City out that's the, the only way of beating City is keeping them out because it once they score you've then got to score two yeah, obviously yeah, that's yeah. Michael Owen moment it's quite <laughs> obvious but yeah I think Leicester will do it and imagine if they both do it Leicester Listen, and Brighton we'll, we'll upset of the week we'd be the curse on, on the top teams <laughs> it won't be good for Super 6 <laughs> Super 6 is definitely one that we wouldn't want them to win unless you've gone with one of your outside picks like you were That's not, I love a good outside pick on Super 6 what did you get right last night uh, I got one all Shakhtar Celtic and I had City to draw with uh, Borussia Dortmund I put one all and obviously it was nil nil so so frustrating everyone else well I think in our league, majority of people got zero points. Oli <laughs> sits there at the top with seven. Because he also backed Dortmund and Man City to draw last night. Mental. I'm sorry, that is just completely mad. But yeah, so that is all from a game of two halves this week. We're going to be back in two weeks, is it? Yeah, So basically, we are every two weeks here, we're going to be talking all things football. And we're looking forward to it. Yeah, and then we've got the World Cup coming up. We've got more Premier League fixtures. It's... It's, a, it's exciting times. There's so football. much to talk about for us, isn't there, as well? It's just constant. Yeah. You know, you've, with footy, I feel like footy's the best sport to talk about because there's always something on. Yeah, 100%. Obviously, not everyone in our house is dead pleased that it's on every night. <laughs> but you've got footy on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sometimes Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There's always football, isn't there? So we You will, can tell it's our life, can't you? <laughs> oh, we will always have stuff to talk about. But yeah, it's been great. So thanks to you, Ollie. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Alice. No worries. We'll and see that you in two it. weeks' time. We'll see you in two weeks' time.